Stocks, bonds, currencies, gold, fixed income, interest rates, geopolitical affairs. These are the drivers of the markets. These are the drivers of your money, your wealth, your investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost, founder of thefinanceghost.com. I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Mohamed Nalla, founder of monose.com and one of the most respected macroeconomic analysts to come out of South Africa. He now lives in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets experience. This podcast is not about stock tips. It's not about financial and investment advice, so please don't construe it in that way. We are here to share our love of the markets, our passion for what's going on out there, and our insights in the hopes that it grows your knowledge and potentially helps you make better decisions with your money long term. Welcome to Magic Markets. Welcome to the third episode of Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost, joined by the excellent Mohamed Nalla of MoKnows.com. This podcast is brought to you by Gray Capital, an independent wealth management company. Gray Capital combines the art of financial planning with the science of investing, helping you achieve your financial goals. Visit graycapital.co.za for more. Gray Capital is an authorized financial services provider. You know, Mo, I've always wanted to say that, an authorized financial services provider. You are an authorized birthday boy today. I don't know if you're too old for me to say birthday boy. I mean, how, what is it now, 37? Uh, will not comment on my age uh, because it's unfair. Ghosts don't have birthdays, I assume, because you're already have, you've already crossed over into the netherworld as a ghost. So no comment on my age right now. <laughs> I'm happy to confirm you've got a few years on me, which is why you are smarter and wiser <laughs> and more useful on these podcasts than I am. So uh, Mo, tonight we're talking about rating agencies and it's a buzzword that is all over the news all the time. We always hear the word downgrade. We sadly don't often hear the word upgrade. It seems to be something that doesn't happen to South Africa, and we can talk about that just now. But, you know, we thought let's give our listeners a 101 on the world of rating agencies, what it means for a country, why these agencies even exist. You know, do they only do country debt? Do they do corporate debt as well? Just a lay of the land of the ecosystem. You know, if someone was in an elevator and they said to you between the first and the seventh floor, Tell me what rating agencies are. You know, how would you explain them? I tell them they need more than seven floors. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell them to listen to Magic Markets because we're going to explain it to you now in this podcast. Um, long story short, ratings agencies exist and they are relevant. I know there's a lot of pushback of this down in South Africa, especially because South Africa is on the wrong side of the ratings agency discussion. Uh, as you indicated, we're always talking downgrade. I think the last time we talked of an upgrade in South Africa is over a decade ago, so easily over a decade ago. So on that basis, yes, ratings agencies do rate not just sovereigns, they also rate corporate issuers. And their main purpose at the end of the day is that investors out there need an independent third party to have a look at the credit metrics of whatever the entity is, whether it's a sovereign, whether it's a corporate, look at this impartially, look at it in a, a manner that is consistent transparent and we'll go into some of the methodology around it and from that after considering all of the factors that could affect the credit worthiness of a debt issuer either the country or the the corporation in question they then spit out a score uh, or a credit rating and that's what we we generally talk about so let's bring it back to South Africa specifically as you correctly said South Africa unfortunately on the downgrade side of things uh, rated and the big three ratings agencies are Standard & Poor's Moody's uh, and Fitch Ratings. 
So if we have a look at those three, you know, South Africa now rated at sub-investment grade or junk, if you want to be uh, slightly more impolite, uh, across all three of these ratings agencies. And in fact, I think it was in March 2020, so this year, when South Africa was downgraded by by um, Moody's, which is the last one to kind of move us into sub-investment grade, it's now got uh, the equivalent of a, a high or close to highly speculative investment grade. It's currently categorized as non-investment grade speculative, uh, and that's just one notch above debt that would be categorized as highly speculative. So not a great place to be in, uh, but we can unpack, you know, the why, we can unpack the how. uh, And I mean, effectively, as it stands right now, Standard & Poor's and Fitch, uh, those two have us at a double B minus. As I indicated, that's literally just the notch above highly speculative. They both have negative outlooks, which means that they don't expect this to improve anytime soon. They see the trend as continuing toward the negative. Moody's, uh, on an equivalent basis, just one notch above that. So they would be a double B equivalent rather than double B minus. They just have a slightly different uh, labeling to it. And so they call that BA2. Uh, But that's just basically one notch above where Standard and Poor's and Fitch are. Moody's arguably still giving us a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. But importantly, Moody's now also having South Africa on a negative outlook. So it's negative, negative, negative everywhere, as we know. And if we take a step back, there's a whole lot of funds out there in this world where their mandate is to invest in sovereign debt, among other things. So bonds issued by the likes of the South African government. And they use these rating agencies to tell them the rating on these bonds. So is it investment grade? And you will have funds where their mandate is to hold investment grade bonds only. You will have bonds that are speculative, you know, and again, there are funds out there that will own those bonds. It all comes down to what the yield is like. And that's why the yields move in, you know, in accordance with the risk, because like any other asset in the market, it reprices all the time. So when we say South Africa is junk, we're not saying no one wants us. We're just saying there's a selected number of funds that can invest in us. And they are going to demand a specific return, which is higher to take into account the higher risk. And unfortunately, that increases the borrowing costs for our governments. It's a lot like, you know, if you go to the bank and you ask them for a loan, if you are a higher risk borrower, they'll never call you junk because that's not going to do them any PR favors on Twitter. But they will charge you a higher rate than a prime borrower who goes there, asks for a home loan easy affordability, you know, that would be like an investment grade borrower. Would you say that's a reasonable sort of summary of how this world kind of works at a very high level? Yeah, I think that's actually a very important distinction. So let's maybe unpack it a bit for the listeners. If you, you're referring to a prime borrower. So in, in the world of let's look at sovereigns, a prime borrower would be a sovereign that holds a triple A rating. And un, until around, uh, I think it was two or three years ago, the United States was the gold standard, if you want to call it that. Uh, they were then subsequently downgraded from that triple A rating when they ran into issues around passing their budget and the debt ceiling and so forth. Um after prime, you get what they call high grade, and then it kind of just continues going down. So then there's upper medium grade, lower medium grade, and then you fall into the non-investment grade. So as it stands right now, South Africa is three notches below investment grade. I mean, I remember two or three years ago, we were talking about falling out of investment grade. We're now three notches below investment grade. Now, the important distinction that you raise is that this doesn't mean South Africa is not going to be able to issue debt that will be bought by international investors. It just means that instead of falling into an investment grade fund, you'd now fall into a high yield fund where investors have greater risk appetite. Now, what does this all mean? 
It means that potentially your pool of money that you're going to be looking to to tap into or attract to South Africa gets smaller by definition. Uh, again, I recall from a few years ago when I was still working at an investment bank down in South Africa, you know, South Africa was still investment grade. Uh, even South African banks, and again, we can talk about how the, the ratings of banks are tied to the ratings of the sovereigns. At that stage, South African banks were still also able to attract money from international uh, central banks, from sovereign wealth funds. And as you fall out of that classification of investment grade, it means that you start fishing in a smaller and smaller pool of capital and that the price that you're going to be paying for attracting that capital through the yields on your bonds generally tends to increase. The saving grace here is all of this has happened in the context of very low yields internationally. So what does this mean? It means that the South African 10-year is still trading at around 9%. Uh, yes, it should be trading a lot lower. If I run a, an analysis on where should South African bonds be trading relative to our credit rating, you could argue that we're trading at about a 75 basis point discount on the bond, or it means a 75 to 100 basis points too expensive. That means we're paying too much for the funds that we have to attract. And part of the reason for that is not just that we're at some investment grade, but it's also because the outlook, the forward-looking statement from a lot of these ratings agencies remains negative. And that means that the risks haven't yet corrected. Uh, and in fact, we need to first see a stabilization. You move from a negative outlook to a stable outlook first. And only if you're really turning the ship around, then do you move on to a positive outlook and can start considering credit ratings upgrade. Uh, at that point in time. And these rating agency, you know, the downgrades, et cetera, become politically uncomfortable, which is why you sometimes see government try and, you know, poo-poo this, don't worry about it, we hate the rating agents, it's not important. But actually, I'm almost pleased to see what's happening in government at the moment because there does seem to be a maturity in the fiscus that is starting to come through. I mean, there's still some, some crazy stuff like, you know, big bailouts for SAA and that kind of thing, but there's also a lot of positive news around cost-cutting and you know, just a, a general recognition that we are in trouble and we are on a poor trajectory. And these rating agencies are going to keep downgrading us if we do not turn the ship around. And Mo, there's a point in time at which our debt becomes so expensive. You know, we already have a problem in this country where a big percentage of our annual budget is being spent on interest. It's, you know, if we bring it back to a household, it's like in your household budget, you are simply just paying the bank too much interest relative to your earnings. And it's putting pressure on everything else. You know, your kids aren't going to the school you want them to go to. So your education's not where you want it. Your, your house doesn't have the security upgrades you want. So your security bill is not where you want it. It's the same as like our national police, our national education. We're spending too much on interest. It's as simple as that. And it's hurting every single element of our fiscal budget. You know, what do you think about South Africa actually turning the ship around? Do you think that we can start to get onto a stable outlook? And, and is government on the right track? So Ghost, I'm not a perma bear on South Africa. First and foremost, let me say, I think South Africa is one of those EMs, emerging markets that has tremendous potential. But are they turning the ship around? And the short answer is, no, they're not. That's why they're a negative outlook. Uh, let's unpack it a little bit. So to your first point, South Africa spends between 15 to 20 rand out of every 100 rands that it gets in the budget on debt service, on interest. So that's just to stay afloat. That's just treading the water. That's not repaying the debt. That's before we even have any money left over to pay for the very important social programs and then the more important capital investment programs. So it's called crowding out of the, the kind of fiscal space that government has in order to start doing the right thing. Uh, if we bring it back down to 
South Africa, the Treasury saying the right things, uh, we also need to maybe take a step back and say, how do the ratings agencies assess it? Is it just about the numbers? You know, do they look at some of these comments? And I'll pick one of them because they're all kind of very similar. But if you look at the framework underlying one of the ratings agencies' um, uh, methodology, they break it down into five key areas, and I'm going to go through those. The first is institutional assessment. So what do your institutions look like? Is there rule of law? What does policymaking look like? The second assessment is an economic assessment. So how's your growth going? What's your GDP per capita? And so forth. Then they look at external. So they say, are you able to attract capital into your market? What does your uh, external deficits look like, etc.? Then there's the fiscal, which we've kind of touched on now. How much flexibility do you have? You know, how much are you spending on interest? How much can you spend? What are your commitments on the social side? And then lastly, there's a monetary assessment. So is monetary policy quite sound? So if you look at that, you can see that it's a very multifaceted approach in terms of how they eventually derive a rating on a country. Now, I've watched this over the last several years. And unfortunately, on a number of factors where South Africa, for example, we've got good quality institutions, we've got an independent reserve bank, we've got great monetary policy. Those were kind of the saving graces that were keeping South Africa's rating a little bit higher. It was just keeping us into investment grade. But the weakness that you pick up on the fiscal side, the weakness that you pick up on the economic side, at some stage just becomes too great. It overwhelms some of the positive factors within the model. And that's when you start pushing down a notch or two or three. Um, is it all doom and gloom? Uh, I don't think so. But we've heard these stories from National Treasury, from the powers that be, from politicians, uh, this administration, previous administrations saying the right things. Uh, a simple example is the commitment to fiscal consolidation and the argument around state-owned enterprises. I mean, the contingent liabilities that emanate onto the sovereign from state-owned enterprises like Eskom, like SAA, amounts to roughly 20% of GDP. That's massive. Uh, if you roll all of this back up, it's very easy to see South Africa's debt to GDP north of 100% within the fiscal framework. And so when you start to look at this, you say, we've heard this. We've, we've been hearing the story for the last three, four, even five years. Um, government was indicating that they would rein in the SOEs. There was some talk of maybe considering privatization or selling off some of these SOEs. There have been very little movement and implementation thereof. And in fact, in Fitch's uh, commentary uh, around the, the most recent ratings um, uh, instance, they actually said that the track record, and this is verbatim from their commentary, the track record of implementation of earlier reform initiatives has been relatively weak and even if implemented, the effects would be limited and take time to accumulate. So this tells you that we gave you the benefit of the doubt, but you're moving too slow if you're even doing anything at all. And so we can't continue kicking this can down the road. There has to be some sort of hard realization that you need to turn the ship around. And I've been hoping and praying for three, four, five years as we were in investment grade and then just sub-investment grade. But hope and prayer is not a strategy. We need to start seeing hard-nosed implementation, uh, tough decisions, structural reform. And unfortunately, I mean, the COVID pandemic has really just been the straw that broke the camel's back. These fragilities, uh, these weaknesses have pre-existed in the South African economy before COVID was even on the, on the horizon.
Yeah, absolutely. We just weren't in a position to actually withstand this thing. I mean, let's let's face it. And what's interesting is to see the current level that the RAND is trading at. I mean, listeners can go back to the first episode of Magic Markets where we discussed the RAND in detail. But what has been interesting is as we went into junk status, the RAND definitely took a knock when that happened several months ago. But as we move further into junk status, it kind of just doesn't have the same effect. And my understanding is that that's because we don't really fall out of a specific institutional mandate when you're going from one notch in junk to another one. So you don't have this forced sale of bonds, although a lot of the bond selling would have happened in advance of us going to junk because a lot of institutions would have known it was coming. However, it sounds like there's another level of junk that we may be heading towards, which is when we become speculative. At that point in time, I guess we potentially fall out of mandates again. So if that happens, there's going to be forced selling of our bonds, and then presumably the RAND is going to feel more pain, um, you know, which is going to have all the effects that, that, a, that a poor RAND has on our country. Would that be a reasonable, a reasonable estimate of what might happen? I think to some degree. I mean, I, I recall when South Africa just fell out of investment grade and there was a lot of talk about, oh my God, we're going to fall out of the world government bond index. This is a catastrophe. And I think the piece that people were missing back then was, twofold. One, the global carry trade was alive and well. The search for yield was very real. So that is a support of global tailwind that certainly buffers emerging markets like South Africa. The, the other angle was that you'd fall out of an investment grade mandate into a high yield mandate. There are still funds that would buy your debt. Um, in order to answer your question definitively, and I don't have the answer here yet, one would need to go and have a look at what do the investment mandates of those high yield funds stipulate? Uh, if you fall, how far down that ladder can you fall before you're excluded from those mandates? I don't have the answers to that. I also think it's probably the wrong discussion to be having. I think the discussion we should be having is how do we get back into investment grade because the pool of capital, the cost of capital down here in sub-investment grade is simply too expensive. Yes, the RAND hasn't reacted, the bond yields haven't reacted, and, and the reason for that is a lot of this gets priced beforehand, as you indicate. But I, I, if I give you a simple example, if I, as I indicated earlier, if I run an analysis on how South Africa stacks up relative to some of our peers, uh, and if I map something called a CDS spread, that's the cost of insuring against a, a default from a particular sovereign, if I map that across emerging markets, and I put a, if you can picture it, if I put a curve on that, South Africa sits above the curve. It means there's a lot more risk that is priced into South Africa already, even at current levels. Uh, and where does South Africa sit there? It sits with the likes of Turkey, who has gone through a lot of um, political, fiscal, and monetary upheaval over the course of the last several months. South Africa sits above the curve like Turkey. But if you compare us to something like a Brazil, Brazil and South Africa have the same rating on their foreign currency debt as uh, on S&P. South Africa and Brazil are both rated at double B minus. The difference is Brazil currently has a stable outlook. And so consequently, Brazil trades at almost a percent and a half uh, cheaper to, to ensure against the risk than South Africa. And this goes into the what's priced in. I think there's a there's a fair amount of negativity priced into South Africa right now. Effectively, you could almost argue that if South Africa were downgraded yet another notch and moved to 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 the B to the B1s, for example, just the single Bs, um, if we move there, the current price on CDSs at least would be reflective of that. So 
there's there's a lot of technicality around it in terms of what's priced in how heavy uh, how heavy is foreign positioning in South Africa and that's another dimension here is if you look at foreign holdings of South African government debt uh, it sits at around 29% but let me provide some context for for the listeners that was as high as 40% a little while ago. So that's telling you that foreigners have already sold down. They've sold down almost 10% of the total debt issuance in South Africa. That's, that's how much they hold of it. They've already sold that out of their portfolios because of mandate exclusion, because of potentially the negative outlook. So it means positioning is still high, yes, at 29%, but certainly in their portfolios, South Africa has become a lot less relevant. Uh, And that's a good and a bad thing. It means maybe your volatility decreases, but it also means that in order to get back onto their investment agenda, we're going to have to work that much harder. Mo, that drop in foreign holding of our bonds, does that mean that those bonds have now landed in domestic hands? Are they sitting in pension funds, banks? Are those the sort of institutions that are now buying and holding our bonds? It's an excellent question. And and undoubtedly, whenever there's a seller, there's got to be a buyer. I think one of the backstops to, for example, the South African sovereign or any sovereign for that matter, is that the banking regulations require banks to hold high quality liquid assets. And so effectively, a lot of those bonds will find their way onto banks' balance sheets. They'll find their way onto pension funds' balance sheets. So, you know, the pool of capital just sloshes around and it means that someone's taken that up. Uh, You can only assume... If the foreigners have offloaded it, and again, I'd have to go and have a look at the, the detail behind it, but generally, uh, as they offload, it gets taken up by your institutional uh, your institutional holders, whether that's the banks, whether that's the pension funds and asset managers, I don't have that detail just yet, uh, but you can easily find that detail on National Treasury's website as well. Giving you all the tough questions on your birthday, Mo. It's just one of those. It's just one of those things, you know. It's just one more concept I think we should unpack before we go, and that's the the carry trade that you mentioned earlier. And that basically, my understanding means that's where investors are looking for yield because yields overseas are structurally and annoyingly low. You know, in some cases, basically zero. And so, at the end of the day, the money looks for yield, and they take a view on South Africa that maybe it's not so bad, and they come, you know, looking for a return, and that gives support to our bonds. Is that basically what the carry trade is? Uh, in a nutshell, yes. I mean, foreign investors, international investors, as you say, not only are rates low uh, and close to zero, uh, you know, some sovereign debt out there in the developed world uh, are actually negative yielding. That means that you would pay the government of Switzerland, for example, to, to actually invest with them. So it's the wrong way around. If you're if you're a fund, you want to try and extract yield, but you want to do so within your risk budget. And that's where South Africa has always been in an attractive space when it comes to higher yielding emerging markets out there. Now, let's use an example. Again, if you're buying a South African 10-year bond at, at close to 9%, 9% uh, and if you assume that inflation in South Africa is running at, uh, I know it's around 35 but let's even say 4%, that leaves you with a 5% real yield uh, in RAND. Uh, then the risk to that five that five percent real yield that you would get over a year, for example, you'd need to look at that in the context of will the currency weaken or strengthen over that time period, and will that contribute or detract from my return? And so you would overlay your your fixed income view in terms of what's the real yield I can get with a currency view. And quite often, what a lot of these managers do is that they would buy the South African debt, whether that's you know rand denominated or dollar denominated. We can get into those complexities at another time. But they would buy the South African debt. If it's RAND denominated, they would then consider a currency overlay on that to try and hedge out some of the currency.
currency risk. That's generally how a lot of the larger funds tend to do it. Uh, and it can still be a very attractive strategy, specifically for the funds that are nimble enough and smart enough to actually get those trades the right way around. Uh, it's why I say, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. South Africa is still paying a yield in a yield-seeking type of environment. Uh, but bear in mind that that only works when the global tailwinds are in your favor. If those reverse, uh, if the search for yield erodes, if we start to see a tick up, as we're starting to see now in the U.S., for example, with yields ticking up there, if you start to see developed market yields tick higher, it starts to erode some of that competitiveness. Uh, and that could come with a risk to, 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 to foreign portfolio flows into South Africa. I don't have to tell our listeners that South Africa remains heavily reliant on foreign uh, portfolio flows, capital flows, in order to fund its fiscal deficit deficits as well as its current account deficits. And for as long as those exist, we're going to have to go out there cap in hand and try and be as attractive as possible to foreign investors, offering them the high yields so that we can actually pay the bills at the end of the day. My final question from me, these rating agencies are not just a public sector thing, are they? Companies will also issue bonds. They may not go and borrow from the bank. They may go to the public debt markets list some kind of bond program and get these rating agencies to rate their bonds. And it's much the same principle, isn't it? There are institutional investors out there who look to these ratings and say, look, you know, should I buy into the debt program of this listed company um, and help them raise money in that way? I mean, rating agencies also play a role in the private sector, don't they? They do. It's it's why you will find different scales. So there will be a local currency scale and there will then be a foreign currency scale. Uh, a lot of corporates, for example, if they just operate in the South African market, they would be mapped against the local currency scale. Uh, but bear in mind that the ceiling, when you convert that back into the hard currency scale, would generally be in line with the sovereign in which they predominantly operate. Uh, there are some companies, uh, let's say it's a global multinational, uh, and let's assume it's a mining company as an example. They might have some exposures in South Africa. They may even be listed in South Africa. But if a large portion of their revenues are derived outside of South Africa, they would then not necessarily be bound by the credit rating of South Africa. Uh, very much operates exactly the same way as we indicated on the sovereign. There's investment grade. And then as you kind of move down that scale, uh, your cost of funding would tend to increase in line with a deteriorating credit profile. Mo, as ever, I continue to learn from you, as do our listeners. This podcast was brought to you by Gray Capital, an independent wealth management company that combine the art of financial planning with the science of investing, getting you to your financial goals. Please do visit graycapital.co.za. They are an authorized financial services provider. Mo, it's time you went and enjoyed your birthday in Canada. And uh, thank you so much for your time. And thoroughly look forward to next week where we look forward to having a really interesting guest, we think, on the show. Hopefully that'll all be confirmed in the next few days and we'll be touching on some pretty interesting regulatory developments in the South African market. Thank you for your time. We'll chat next week. Thanks so much, Ghost. Thanks to our listeners and keep tuning in. Subscribe and give us a great rating. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monose.com for more detailed insights from both of us on the topics that we are most passionate about. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing you have heard here should be taken as personal financial or investment advice. Speak to your financial advisor, do your own research, make your own decisions, and good luck. This has been an episode of Magic Markets with your host, The Finance Ghost, and Mohamed Nala.